Yes, I'm good. Dyslexia, audio transmission. We don't know that many teachers with dyslexia who are happy to talk about it. Like, they are there. We just don't know about them. Welcome to Dis and That, the podcast from the Dyslexia Association of Ireland. The voice you just heard was Roisin, and in this episode we'll be talking to Roisin about being dyslexic, about being a teacher, and about the unique perspective that she has, having been both a learner and a teacher in the classroom. Roisin's interviewed by myself, Donald Dewing, and Rosie Bissett, CEO of Dyslexia Association of Ireland. The next voice you hear is Rosie. So we're delighted today to welcome Roisin to our podcast, Dis and Dat. So Roisin, I'm going to hand straight over to you and let you maybe just introduce yourself a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about you um, and uh, I suppose why we're featuring you on our podcast today. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I'm Roisin. I've recently just graduated from Marino Institute of Education to become a primary school teacher which I think has been my dream since I was four. I had an unreal junior infant teacher and was like, yeah, that's what I want to be. And I never changed my mind. Um, I'm on this podcast today because, of course, I am dyslexic, which is pretty obvious when you listen to the name of the podcast. Um, And one of my things was I never saw a teacher with dyslexia when I was growing up. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to be the teacher with dyslexia that dyslexic kids looked up to and could be like, oh, I can do that. Because once you can see somebody be something, you can you know you can be it. So that was kind of my main kind of inspiration for being a teacher. That's great, Roisin. What a super introduction. And I'm, I'm already inspired, actually. <laughs> um, can, can I ask you, can I go back in the time machine? And, and can, do, you, do you remember when you found out you were dyslexic for the first time? So I'd say kind of... I was in a Gwale school and I have an older brother who would have picked up reading very quickly. And I'd say kind of the end of junior infants, we started getting the books with a couple of words in them. I think there's like five words on a page. And it just, it wasn't working for me. It wasn't clicking. And my mum began, began to get quite frustrated because my brother picked it up so easily. Like she never even thought about it. It was just second nature to her and to him to just read it. So she's like, oh, this is a bit odd. So she went into the school and over the next junior infants and senior infants, the teachers kind of sat down with my mom and worked on it. And were like, OK, she's struggling with this. But they thought at first it was just the Irish, that that was the issue. And then in about first class, they were like, OK, we think she should get tested to see if she's dyslexic. So, of course, mom was like, yeah, no worries at all. Straight in. We got tested privately. And that was brilliant. And they were like, OK, yeah, Roisin is dyslexic. And chances are her father was dyslexic as well, because they told my dad he was lazy, he was stupid the whole way up along, because he was that generation where dyslexia was still kind of this far off thing that only certain people had. And it was very much a kind of an upper class thing to have it. So he was always kind of looked down on and was lazy and stuff. So then from after second class, they moved me to an English speaking school just so that it would be that little bit easier for me wasn't necessary but it was kind of it just it made life easier so yeah I think so I would have been six or seven and they told me straight away that I was dyslexic and it just it made my life so much easier 
knowing that there was a word for it. That's what it was. I just needed a word for why it was so hard. That's really interesting. And, and why do you think that was? What was it about having a word that made things easier, Oshin? Because I was no longer different. I was unique and I was special and I had an ability. Whereas when you're struggling with stuff, you always feel quite isolated and alone. But when I was told I was dyslexic, I was like, okay, there's other people out there exactly like me. I belong to a group. I'm not a weirdo. I'm not different and I'm not slow. I belong to a group. That's really interesting. So it's almost like group identity was was part of what, what you got out of it as well. Exactly. Because like at those young ages, kids are always segregated into their little reading groups. So you always had the kids who were flying along and the kind of nerdy ones. Like I hate saying that now because I know we're not supposed to call them that. But that's what they were. And then there was the kids who struggled. And the word struggle, I just it just kind of put me on edge every time I was like, I'm not struggling. This is something that I'm doing differently to the way you want me to do it. But I'm not I'm not struggling and it's not wrong. It's different. And I liked that different and dyslexia sound very similar. So I liked that I could put all those words together. And that's that described us and the kids who had dyslexia. mentioned Roisin that you have wanted to be a primary teacher since junior infants okay um, and obviously junior infants wasn't the easiest maybe because as you say you were different and people didn't quite get that but is there a teacher that maybe sticks out for you at any stage where you kind of think oh my god this person really gets me and they appreciate me for the unique you know uh, wonderful different person that I am oh my god there's actually been so many but I think it's because Myself and my mom were so involved and we got to talk with the teachers one-on-one. So like every teacher knew me. And I think like I have so many funny stories of what like you can say about teachers. So like primary school, I had great resource teachers and so many resource teachers. Like I had two who were like, Roshin doesn't even need resource. These are now stretchers. So these are for like the advanced kids. So even just them having enough faith in my ability to kind of expand my knowledge and to push me that little bit harder was brilliant. And then in secondary school, it was a little bit tougher because some teachers were just so busy because they had their kids and like they knew exactly what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But I had a huge issue reading green marker on a whiteboard. And I remember I'd say it was the first week in school and I was petrified. I was like, mommy, how do I tell them I can't read? (laughs) And she was like, no, no, it's not that you can't read. It's just it's green. So of course I went up to the teachers and was like I'm really really sorry but you can't write in green marker anymore because I can't see it and they were like what like no no this has never happened before you can read it I was like I honest to god can't like you can put any word up there and I cannot read it so they all knew me as the green marker girl and then we were in a bottle green school uniform so it just made it so much worse and then I think one of the best ones I have of a teacher ever because I was in a catholic school so mercy convent so as you know like very prestigious and all this stuff and um we had to write an essay about protestants absolutely brilliant so we were writing this and I wrote I'd say I wrote three and a half pages on it and my teacher took it up and she was correcting it and then she called me up the next day and she was like um Roisin you wrote prostitutes the entire way through this and not only that you spelt it right each time <laughs> and I was like oh my god like handing this up to like a catholic teacher I was devastated but again 
every every teacher I had just laughed at the little dyslexic things and they all became anecdotes as we went on and it was just phenomenal I love I love sorry I have to admit I love that (laughs) but actually do you know what I love the most about that teacher is the fact that she she kindly told you about the yes the the mistake (laughs) but actually congratulated you that you got the word prostitute right so I think exactly so you know double double positive for that teacher um and okay now I'm going to sort of flip things a little bit and go okay you had lots of great ones but also maybe did you come across any who were not so great or um and maybe how did that make you feel and I suppose how has that perhaps played into your desire to be a teacher and how you now are as a teacher I would have had I think only three or four instances where I would have clashed heads with a teacher and it was generally that they refused to accept that I was dyslexic because I was diagnosed so young I had so many coping strategies the whole way up along that if I didn't tell you I was dyslexic, you wouldn't know from my work and you wouldn't know from how I spoke. So it was teachers like that. Like I remember doing Irish essays or English essays and it was generally sub teachers or like one or two teachers that I will not mention who'd be like, um, your spelling is all over the place. Like, what do you think you do and how are you doing higher level? I was like, um, I'm fairly sure my spelling doesn't matter as long as the content is there, it's all okay. And you can generally work it out. And they were like, oh, sure, go off with yourself then. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and of course, like, I always went home. I feel really bad. I'm like one of those, like, telltale kids. And I always told mom. And mom was like, oh, Roshan, you'll be fine. Don't mind them. Like, they have no control over your leaving cert points. Luckily, unfortunate for other people who, they did have control over the leaving cert points. And then I remember in TY, we did one of those, you know, those tests where you figure out what job you'd be really good at. Yeah. And you see your spatial awareness and your spelling and stuff. And I would be quite mathematical. So I scored quite high in the maths. And then I got 2% in spelling. And the kind of guidance counsellor, Prelate, he called me aside now. He'd never spoken to me in the four years I had been in the school. And he called me aside and he's like, I'm really sorry, but I don't think you can do your leave insert. There's me in TY going, I've been to college open days. I know exactly where I'm going. What? And he was like, you only got 2% in spelling. I was like, yeah like I'm really proud of this I got a couple right (laughs) like what's wrong and he was like no like you you can't do it I was like um have you read my file and he's like you have a file I was like yes I'm dyslexic in big writing face shirt on top of the file and he was like oh I'm so sorry bye now (laughs) never saw him again like (laughs) I said that was they're kind of the main ones that I had you wow. had him at the word file literally <laughs> like, like <laughs> it was like how can you talk to somebody and not have checked back like in case because if that was somebody who had like a weaker personality or something or like took everything seriously they would have been devastated absolutely whereas I was yeah. kind of like this isn't adding up mm-hmm. and you obviously have a, a really sort of healthy sense of humor around this and, and that helps you what where did that come from Is that just personality or do you think there was a little bit that maybe came from being dyslexic that you developed that kind of resilience? It definitely came from being dyslexic. And do you know when you read something like we were in, I'm going to have so many anecdotes to all these things. We were in an Italian restaurant and I was like, oh, my God, I really want to try French toasted spaghetti. And my mom and my dad and my brother were like, where are you seeing this on the menu? And I was like, 
fair and they're like oh freshly tossed spaghetti and it's like those <laughs> things everything I came up with was hilarious like I remember we were driving in the car and I was like oh it's Punchestown named after Punchestown pilot and I was like, where are you getting these from and then I think one of my mother's favorite ones I was in sixth year so like 18 year old had one of my friends were writing down types of dogs and I was like what's a chihuahua and they were like how so I think that's what it is it's we found the funny side like it was never oh she's reading badly it's okay where is she getting this funny word out of like can we see it so it was everyone was always trying to figure out where I was coming from and that made it funny so I think it would have been kind of it is the dyslexia and then it's how my parents dealt with it but yeah lots of anecdotes that's brilliant it's a fantastic way to to manage it because I suppose it's that thing of some people can so you can see how some people easily slip into the negative of those situations and beating themselves up over getting it wrong whereas actually if you can you know be kind to yourself in that moment and actually as you say see the fun and the humor in it you know then it it totally changes how that feels you know for for you and I'm sure everyone else around as well exactly it's very much how you approach mistakes like are you thinking a mistake is I've done something wrong are you thinking oh this is a way for me to learn So it's very much how do we approach our mistakes and how do we value them? It's like so many people are terrified of making mistakes. And I know quite a lot of dyslexias who will avoid situations that they know will make mistakes because they're afraid because somebody down the line has obviously written in big red pen, this is wrong, or told them you're making too many mistakes, you need to stop. And I think that's what we need to change. Mistakes are not a bad thing. If you don't make mistakes, you're not human. I think that's we need to approach them with the light, fun-hearted side that life needs. And do you find that's coming? You've been teaching now for a few months. Yes. And uh, do you, have you found that that's coming into your sort of professional skill set now? Definitely. I think I've changed. I write in kind of fun colour pens, so there's no red ever on anything that I correct with because I know red can be quite daunting. Um, I tend to highlight the words that they've spelt right or the letters that they've formed correctly and praise what they've done right rather than kind of even just drawing light to negative things I don't tend to do like I know if there's there's one or two children in my class who would be suspected of having dyslexia so we'd pick one or two common words for them to focus on so if they had say a spelling test with 10 words and they got eight wrong we're only going to pick two of those for them to focus on because eight is a mountain and no one wants to climb a mountain. Well, there are people out there, obviously, who do. <laughs> but the majority of kids at the end of the week do not want to climb a mountain. So it's just making it smaller and much more manageable. It's like, how would you eat an elephant? It's a small bite at a time. Like, if you give them an entire dictionary, you're like, go learn this. They can't. They won't. They're going to refuse point blank. So it's very much making um, learning mistakes easier to manage so yeah it definitely has impacted on my teaching and now Roisin and and you've obviously experienced education as a student at primary and post-primary now you're a teacher if you could give advice to the powers that be um, with regard to changes to the system what do you have any thoughts about what would make education school more dyslexia friendly 
I think the biggest area that's lacking in dyslexic education is post-primary. Primary school, we've got the majority of the supports in place and teachers are well equipped to deal with dyslexic students. But in secondary school, they just get lost in the system. And it's so unfortunate to see because it's such a tricky time because everything is changing for them, like their personalities, their friend groups, their body, everything. And it's so tough. One of the things I think if I did have a magic wand is to put learning support teachers in there who aren't teacher trainers, who aren't teachers who are making up the hours so that they're working the 23 or 24 hour days. It's teachers who are dedicated to teaching children with learning difficulties because that's huge because so many of us experience a sub teacher who comes in and just sits there on her computer and we're left to read and it's like that's not learning support so definitely post primary school is where the biggest issues are at the minute because if you go to higher education they're they'll give you anything they will throw support at you because they have the funding for it Primary schools, they're so used to kids with learning difficulties and the class sizes are small enough that they can manage. But secondary school, it's a whole other ball game. You really need to have everything together and prepared. And it would just be so much easier if they could get teachers who know what they're doing, know how to support them in place. True. I mean, I think a lot of people assume that is the case, though, that, that teachers in that role have specialist training unfortunately that's not the case like I know everyone would love that your set teacher so your special education teacher has those trainings but there's absolutely no requirements at all for them to have it all they need to do is have their teaching degree their teaching masters even in some cases they're not even qualified teachers who are doing it they're just subs yeah yeah no that, that is that's a that's a weakness in the system definitely mm-hmm. in, t- in terms of your own teacher training so you've uh, spent time at college learning how to be a teacher did you get a lot on um dyslexia and how to look out for children with dyslexia how to support them and um, we got a module i think it was inclusive education so we got 10 weeks of it and it was split with dyslexia dyspraxics dyscalculia and then kind of asd kids And we also had to do a placement in an ASD unit. So it's not exactly dyslexia, but we were taught the kind of signs to see it. So the capitalization of letters, the backward stuff and the reading stuff. So, yeah, we were taught about it. But then we were also sent an awful lot of links to courses and modules that we could do. if This was an area of interest, which was brilliant. And I remember we were sent quite a few, actually, for the Dyslexia Association, which was great to see. And then in kind of fourth year, you could specialise. So you got to pick which area you went into. So, of course, I went into inclusive education and then dyslexia because I knew it would be easy and interesting, which is always good. Very good. And did you do your thesis on, in that area? I did, yeah. I did my thesis on teachers with dyslexia. Again, I felt this was an area that nobody has yet explored because it's only relatively new because we've gotten dyslexic kids through primary school we've gotten them through secondary school we've gotten them through college but what happens to them when they get into the professional world because there doesn't appear to be much research on that yet so I was like there's a gap I'm going for it <laughs> so if you you know how sometimes if you have to go on the radio and you've got you know it's it's a one minute before the the weather and the news and the the producers ask or the presenters asking you what what is the outcome of your research if you had to sum up what you found, Roisin, what, was your, what were your conclusions? 
so you're like for elevator speech yeah <laughs> so it's very much we need to change the stigma around dyslexia in order for teachers to feel comfortable and for professionals to feel comfortable in disclosing their dyslexia and not fear being discriminated against. That's really interesting. So I'm going to assume then that there, you found that there potentially was, uh, there were teachers who weren't disclosing to colleagues or to management or because of fear of something going against them. Yeah, so in the majority of cases, it found that over 85% of teachers who were dyslexic, who happily entered a survey, which is not many of us, said that they would not disclose their dyslexia or their learning difficulty to the staff members. They had no issue disclosing it to the children Mm -hmm. because the children would be very accepting and accommodating. But staff members already have ideas about dyslexia and they tend to be on the side of laziness or they would be incapable of teaching literacy as that's the area they struggle with. And then there was a couple of cases in the UK where teachers were denied their teaching council registration because they found out they had learning difficulties. And like, yeah, I was shocked when I saw that because you think of the UK and you're like, oh, they've got to be leaps and bounds ahead of us. But they're not. Like, and if you have that looming over you, so not only have you struggled the whole way up with learning and stuff, you now have, you can't be yourself. You can't fully feel comfortable in a workplace where you can't tell your colleagues that you have this one thing. And it's something that I find makes me who I am. So I could never go anywhere without telling people I'm dyslexic. I'm fairly sure it's tattooed on my forehead at this stage, but it's got to be very uncomfortable and unfair on teachers who do have to hide that side of themselves. Yeah, it's funny. We've been doing some uh, webinar training this this week, and we spend a lot of time talking about confidence and self esteem of young people, and how you have to make uh, young people feel safe, that it's okay to make mistakes, that they have to have the atmosphere of where the perfection isn't required, and and one of the the lines we take is if you get that bit wrong, nothing else really works. Do you know, so if you don't make people feel relaxed and safe, but also that empathy of what's it like to be in my class if you are dyslexic, I imagine that's not difficult for you because you have that natural empathy for anyone who learns maybe differently. Yes, but then I find, am I lacking in the empathy of the children who learn in the straightforward manner that I never learned in? So I had quite a difficulty learning the regular approaches to teach the kids. So there is kind of always two sides of a coin. You're never going to get that one teacher who has everything because life is life throws curveballs at you the whole time. But yeah, no, I do agree that confidence is huge and instilling confidence in children is something that we've failed at for years. I thought it was lovely, though, when you said, Roisin, that actually the children and that so many of the teachers in your survey that the children were so accepting of it, you oh, know, yeah. and I and I suppose in some ways it does give us a lot of hope for the future. Um, but it's also interesting that I think that the issue for people disclosing in the workplace, you know, teaching is just one sector, but like we would see that in lots of other sectors that, you know, um, work-wise it can be tricky, you know, and you need to almost be there, be there long enough 
you know, get a sense of what what the culture is like, what the mood in the staff room is, et cetera, you know, what the personality of of various key individuals is to know, is this a safe place to to talk about it, you know? Um, So look, we definitely, we have a way to go, but I actually think the, the more... Roshins, the more people like you we have in the world who, you know, had that positive experience and who are able to be their authentic selves and, you know, have no uh, qualms at all about saying, you know, I have dyslexia and I'm a teacher and, you know, um, and so aware of uh, your own profile. So I think that's amazing. And I suppose, look, our, in our work, what we're trying to do is, I suppose, try and help and ensure that more people have that journey where, you know, I suppose for you, 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 you had a great mum, who I'm sure is a great, I know, is a great advocate and mentor and and uh, and, uh, and that. Um, but I think having that that person who's in your corner, who is setting you on the, the right path, who managed to, who got you that early identification, who gave you those skills, you know, and then, and now, you know, let you uh, set off on uh, your successful teaching career. Mm. Exactly. And it very much is like when she got the diagnosis, it didn't close doors. As far as my mother was concerned, this opened doors. And I feel like that's when it can be quite tricky because it's very daunting when you're told your child is now going to struggle in life and that there's something they're going to learn differently, like they are different. So I know that that's very hard and it is quite tricky for parents because they didn't really grow up with many kids being dyslexic. So they don't fully have an understanding of it or an appreciation of it. And like, yes, the children do because they've all experienced kids in their class who struggle. They've all seen kids reading differently and they don't mind it. But we need to now, it's not that generation, it's the older generations. We need them to see that the dyslexic kid isn't the one who's left behind at the back of the classroom because they're lazy. Mm. And parents are one of those, they're the people who unfortunately dyslexia is a scary daunting and it's not a good prognosis and I think that's what we need to change because like that's how like I flew and it was because my mom believed that this was a good thing that this was going to open doors and it wasn't oh my child I I know she struggled at the very beginning and I know there were tears but I think everyone has that but it's got to then realize your child is still able to do whatever they want to be like this doesn't stop them from being anything Absolutely. And, and you're obviously loads of other talents and skills as well. Did you find that you were doing things outside of school or maybe um, extracurricular things where you really kind of succeeded and thrived? Or what was your experience of that? Oh, this is not the good bit. Um, <laughs> you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, OK, so, of course, dyslexics are always told to find things outside of school that they're good at. So I was put into music classes. I cannot read sheet music. I was terrible. I wrote the letters on the piano keys so that I could remember what I was supposed to be doing. So mom was like, okay, we'll try her in dancing. I have zero sense of rhythm. When people clap along to a song, I have to watch their hands to match it. So I don't even teach it in school anymore. I'm like, no, I can't be doing this. So then she's like, okay, we'll try sports, right? This can't be hard. Yeah absolutely impossible I will stand on a football pitch and have a chat with you but if a ball comes near me I have no sense of direction or aim it just isn't going to work so eventually we ended up in girl guiding and it was kind of the perfect collection of stuff like they did games and sports and hikes and stuff so I was able to do that 
there was arts and crafts so I could get the creative side out of me and then there was leadership and group roles which always suited me because again I wanted to be the teacher so I was envisioning always being a leader and guiding people so I think Girl Guides has definitely helped and I've been in there since I was eight and I'm still going and I'm now a leader as well so definitely there is something out there for everyone but you definitely have to give lots of stuff a try. (laughs) (laughs) So you were persistent in trying a few things before you found your calling. Exactly. Mom was adamant that there had to be something. I had to succeed at something. And it took a little while to find it. Because we sometimes talk about, you know, we quite rightly, we talk about the strengths of people with dyslexia and their talents, but that's inadvertently maybe puts some people under pressure that they have to find this. creative spark or exactly and we're always told that we have to be creative and generally when people say creative you automatically think of art or music and I have yet to meet a dyslexic who is really good at music or really good at art and it's Mm. there's just this stereotype or stigma that you have to be and it's just we're always kind of funneled into the creative side because they're like in school we're not good at the English the maths is a bit tricky but everyone can paint a picture and of course in art in school everything is celebrated so everyone's artwork is fabulous so they always stick the weak kids in there and you're just like but that might not be our area and you're just like but school just funnels you into something and that's where we ended up. And tell me about leadership if that's your talent and strength do you think we teach that do you think we celebrate that enough in the school system? I think we're getting there. We're realizing that there needs to be a role and every child needs to have that moment of, I'm really good at this, let me help somebody else. So like we tend to have the kids who finish first in like maths or English, instead of congratulating them, we make them the mini teachers to help the kids who are struggling. But then we also have to remember that the kids who struggle in English also need to experience that leadership role So we'll find the thing that they're strong at. So like arts or like PE or something, we get them to experience it. So it's definitely, it's coming into teaching. The methodologies and everything are now around giving pupils leadership roles and anonymity of their learning, which is great to see. And it's something that I would have loved if it was in my school. That's great. And leadership for you then means that principalships very soon and then head of a national agency after that and then minister for education before too long so she can do all these wonderful changes to the system (laughs) and understand the system (laughs) (laughs) yeah no um I'm trying to think currently it's get the drug done then there's a master's in dyslexia in DCU that looks really good so that'll be next year and then who knows (laughs) very good the world is your oyster exactly Mm -hmm. And if you're dyslexic, it's not even just an oyster, it's a lobster. (laughs) I love that. Was there anyone that uh, you were aware of, and maybe in the public eye, or a famous person with dyslexia that you took inspiration from? Because sometimes we talk about that, but... I'm not sure it's always helpful to everybody. So I think I kind of had two. My first one would have been Jamie Oliver because mom knew he was dyslexic and we always watched cooking shows because it was something that everyone in our house was able to do. It's like I didn't need to read a recipe. I could follow the pictures. 
and he did a book with Nora and it was a kid-friendly book and they talked about how she wrote the recipes and he called them out so he didn't have to write them and how he would say certain things and she'd know what he meant because he used to mumble a lot and get confused so he was one of the biggest ones I remember and I used to love him like I never wanted to be a chef but just thought it was brilliant that he could do what he wanted to do that he wasn't limited Mm. and then in third or fourth class now I've no recollection of the name of this author but he wrote Moon Boy and it was about a boy who spoke backwards and who read backwards and who landed on, who really wanted to go to the moon. And in our school, we were brought down to the library to meet him and we were talking and he said he was dyslexic. And I was like, oh my God, this is another person who has dyslexia. Because at the time, no one in my class had been diagnosed yet because I was diagnosed quite early. So this was phenomenal. And I remember my teacher at the time saying, Roshi, will you hang back now for a second and just have a little chat with him? Because she saw that my eyes had obviously lit up when he said he was dyslexic. Mm. So I stood down and waited for him. And then he was done with his presentation. And I was like, I'm dyslexic as well. And he was like, that's brilliant. And do you read words backwards or do they swim on the page? And I was like, oh, mine actually dance on the page. And he was like, that's brilliant because mine go backwards, which is how he came up with the idea for the book. And he was like, you, I'm going to take your idea of them dancing and do a, a book about a ballerina. And I was like, that's, this is so cool. I don't think he ever did the book, but at the time I was like, this is amazing. I could have a book about me. But he was just the fact that, so not only was he a dyslexic person who had achieved his lifelong dream of being an author, he was able to write about his experience as a child and give it to other children like me who were going, this is phenomenal because like again once you can see it you can do it so if you have a book character that's dyslexic the dyslexic kids are like oh my god I'm not different I belong to the group so I think they were the two that I had and then of course when you get older you realize that like Jennifer Aniston Albert Einstein Tom Holland all of these people have dyslexia but my thing with those people saying they have dyslexia is they waited until they had a platform to say it and I'd love if I know it's very tough for people to come out with dyslexia and that there is the stigmas behind it but I'd love if eventually one day society accepted you no matter what you were Mm. that they could come out before they had auditions and the directors wouldn't look down on them because they were dyslexic because they'd be like oh they need longer to learn their script no they're literally it's just we do it a different way We'd like to thank Roisin for giving up her valuable time and for joining us in such an informative and inspirational discussion. So thank you so much for that. If you would like to listen to more episodes of This and That, then if you follow us on your podcast provider, and we'll also tweet and Instagram and Facebook about any upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening. See you again.